This episode is sponsored by Schneider Electric, a recognized global leader in sustainability. With the SEC's climate disclosure rule, now is the time for businesses to get their data and strategy in order. To get started, visit se.com slash climate risk. From Green Biz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Joel McCowry here in Oakland, California. On this week's edition, why venture capital needs to be disrupted in the name of sustainability, scaling circular fibers for paper and textiles, a new venture seeks to promote regenerative business, and why CSOs have influence with authority. We're climbing the ladder this week on 350. It's April 21st, 2023, halfway between 420 and Earth Day, two of the greenest holidays on the calendar. And welcome to another episode of Green Biz 350. So glad to have you with us. Joining me from Midland Park, New Jersey, is the green goddess herself, Green Biz Editorial Director, Heather Clancy. I hope people didn't take that in the wrong way, Heather. Wow. <laughs> what have you been smoking there, Mr. McGower? <laughs> yeah, what am I smoking? Well, uh, we can talk about it after we stop recording, but uh, uh, that's another story. And you could hear uh, me no, giggling um, I, during you your know, intro, you're... too. So <laughs> I, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This mm-hmm. is... Uh, April is, uh, we're waking up uh, outside and we're starting to hit some decent weather. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you're... Things are blossoming where you are. They're trying. Um, yeah. And and speaking of blossoming, uh, we, uh, we we sort of announced it a couple weeks ago, but I wrote a piece about it this week about uh, biodiversity and Bloom, Bloom 23, our newest event brand, which is going to be happening in October alongside, but separate from uh, Verge 23 in the same uh, convention center, but a separate uh, uh, event. Um, so we're going to be talking about biodiversity increasingly and and the the role of business and that i'm I'm excited about that i i bet you are too that's i know a topic that you're keenly interested in heather i'm interested in everything (laughs) but no seriously yeah i i uh it is and i mean it's it's for me why i got into writing about this sort of thing and um yeah i mean i i know i'm the tech the green tech lady and and that's what i started writing about first in terms of sustainability issues, but I've just always been interested in um, the link between biodiversity and all of the the cascading effects, health, you know, like I also, and I hope that, um, and that's kind of one of my little internal agendas, but, but making the link between health, the health of humans, the health of the ecosystems and, and, you know, all the other things that need to happen. Um, to address the climate is just, it's just everything's linked. I mean, it, everything's interconnected. And I am excited about where we can go with this topic because I think there's so much, you know, I'll put my technology hat back on again. I think there's so many ways in which technology can aid nature, but also in which technology can learn from nature. And there's just like, I just feel this, see this wonderful 
cycle of um of goodness <laughs> yeah and so. not a moment too soon because uh, we you can't really address the climate crisis without addressing the biodiversity crisis and i and i i I'd posit that uh, the, the reverse is true as well. You can't really deal with biodiversity without dealing with climate because they're, 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 they are so connected to, as, you, as you're saying. And there's so much going on. Uh, the, you know, Salesforce, we talked about it, I think a couple of weeks ago, the nature positive strategy and talked about the oceans uh, treaty that was signed uh, uh, last month uh, to protect the, the biodiversity of the ocean and on and on. And, and of course, there's the the task force on nature-related financial disclosure, which is uh, as a framework that's be out this fall around uh, how companies should be reporting their uh, biodiversity impacts or nature-related impacts. So it's, it's going to be uh, watch this space. <laughs> I guess is all you can say. Um, and uh, but that's uh, that's coming up in October. But let's go back and revisit the week in review. And we're going to start off talking about venture capital and how it uh, ha has been disrupted by the Silicon Valley Bank's crash. And and Leah Garden, our climate tech reporter, uh, it writes about now it needs to be democratized. Um, I think, uh, and she brings not a moment too soon as well here too, because uh, the need for to support climate tech. Uh, uh, startups and, and and emerging and and not just startups but also scale up companies is 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 huge right now. We need uh, every innovation we can. Or at least we need to be you know testing them to see if they're actually viable and scalable. Uh, and there's a number of you know platforms. Everyone knows uh, not everyone, but people know Kiva and others crowdsourcing platforms. But there's uh, even more of those that I thought were really interesting of how how. Uh, People can come together uh, and, and get out of the uh, venture capital system uh, for startups, and, and individuals can start to to uh, invest and in the process democratize this. Particularly, well, I know you're going to get into this, uh, Heather. Particularly, you know, get make this less of a of a white male world of venture capital. <laughs> you went there before I did. The uh, yeah, I mean this this is the logical, I think aftermath of what happened with the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. And I mean, a lot of it, I mean, I'm just going to be brutally honest here. A lot of the reason that the, the run happened so quickly is we had venture capitalists actually advising people to take their money out. And so it kind of was this, um, I don't know, self-sabotage almost like of, of, you know, of this community. So the community the venture capital community kind of really um, participated in that, unfortunately. I, you know, and I'm just going to say, it, not every firm, of course, but definitely. And I just love that um, this has put more focus on the crowdfunding and the on the sort of decentralized funding models, where maybe you're, you know, unfortunately, it's going to take more of these to get the money to get the the sort of depth of funds that, that startups want, you know, you would have to go to get more investors involved and, and, and are you diluting your own equity and how will that affect the future of your, of your business model? But I do think it's really put a, a you know, a, a Shauna really bright ugly, a spotlight on the sort of the ugly practices of the industry. And as well, you know, like how you have this network that's been kind of this insider club that 
again, fed off each other and, and perpetuated this, this group think. Um, so I love that, she, that Leah did this story, uh, you know, and she's mentioned a couple of companies here. One of them I didn't know about was Raise Green. I'm going to go do some more um, looking into that. Um, it's an online investment platform. And um, I just think it's, it's a, I think it's a wonderful development. We've, de we've decentralized uh, energy and we're decentralizing other things. Why not decentralize the funding? Yes, absolutely. And particularly given the stats that Leah has in this piece uh, around, uh, you know, 78% of venture capitalists goes to uh, white and Asian men, uh, mm -hmm. and that only 2.2% have gone to, gone to women-led startups and only 26 to Black and Latinx founders, regardless uh, of gender. Um, and the, this is what what's called the behavioral bias in financing, where uh, people tend to give money to folks that look like them, I guess. Uh, and since in this case, it's a lot of white men and some Asian men, that, that's uh, a lot of who's, who gets funded. And, but, but beyond that is, I think, a really another interesting piece of this, that when you get into crowdfunding, it may take the pressure off of some of these companies to, you know, to get big at all costs, even if it's if it means not necessarily following their plan to, to be to create sustainable energy or, or some uh, climate tech innovation. Uh, sometimes the pressure from the traditional venture capital firms uh, requires them to either take too much money and get much bigger faster than they had planned. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But other pressures to, you know, to to grow quickly and so that uh, there, there's a happy exit. Not all companies want an exit. Not all investors need an exit uh, quickly. Uh, and so, uh, you know, granted, these these innovations you need to scale as quickly as possible. So there is speed is an issue, but sometimes that doesn't work. Uh, it's not doesn't isn't sustainable for the companies themselves. So I think this crowdfunding for venture in, in lieu of venture capital for startups we're, you know, putting in, you know, maybe several hundred thousand or maybe even uh, in the low millions into these companies um, can be a real uh, interesting boon to who gets funded, uh, how these companies operate, and maybe we can get more money into more companies more quickly. But uh, let's let's shift over to another story from uh, from Jesse Kleiner, senior editor, which is very much related to this, which is uh, about funding um, uh from a nonprofit that's that's using uh, donating or not donating, they're devoting or deploying sixty million dollars to scale uh, fibers, circular fibers, as, as the headline says, for papers and textiles. This is uh, Canopy Planet. Uh, they won some funding from the Audacious yeah. Project. I love that it's a project of uh, of think of of Bill and Melinda Gates and 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 Emerson Collective, which was. Uh, Really funded by Steve Jobs, uh, his widow, and the Elma Philanthropies, which focuses uh, a lot on um, on Africa uh, startups, looking at how do you uh, you know get more innovation in textile and paper materials. Yeah, I I don't know. So I love this piece because I love I've always really liked the work that Canopy Planet has been doing. Um, they've been around for quite a while. Um, you know, looking at ways of replacing um, fibers that are normally, you know, from woods. I mean, their big thing is deforestation. So what they've gone out and done is help catalyze all of these 
startups that are using other alternative fibers. You know, they're using waste, food waste, agricultural waste, um, to become the new source of paper um, packaging, um, textiles, and so forth. They've they've got a couple of um, brands that they're already working with. One is called Renew Cell, which is turning uh, cotton fabric waste into viscose, and another one is Spinova. Spinova. I'm not really sure which it's how it's pronounced, but they're using agricultural fibers like wheat, uh, and 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 the list goes on. But Canopy has been doing this for a while, and this is a nice, um, really nice boost of funding, 60 million for that work, and they're using it to establish uh, production hubs in in different areas. Um, we got North, they're in North America, and I, I'm familiar with some of the work here, but also in India, Europe, and and later on Brazil, Southeast Asia, and China. So I love number one that that this isn't that they're a nonprofit that's actually out there really driving innovation on the ground locally um, around the world. They've got some really big brands that they're working with. H and M is one of their longtime partners. Zara. Um, Penguin Random House too, right? Books. There's, I'm, I still buy books. Do you? Yeah. Um, Stella McCartney, mm-hmm. LVMH. Uh, those are some really very impressive brand partners. It's just, it's just one of these kind of like it's a recognition of the great work they've been doing. And I love, I just, I love this. I love also the possibility that this could create jobs in places that are striving to find an alternative to the to the jobs. You know, like if you if you tell people you can't cut tr- trees down um, in this part of the world and that's what your livelihood is, well, what? How are you replacing that livelihood? And so this could be a job generation mechanism for those communities too. So I just love this. Yeah, I also like uh, it. Really exemplifies how the mind, mindset shifts. So uh, for a long time, uh, some people at least looked at uh, this, this bunch of fabrics that um, uh, variously known as Tencel, Rayon, Viscose, uh, uh, Lyocell, I think is how you say it, which are all basically start off with wood pulp um, and and so as a sustainable alternative. And then it turns out that, well, Maybe we don't need to be cutting down trees to make fabrics. And how does uh, what's what what's more sustainable uh, than than some of these things? Because if you're comparing it to polyester, sure, it may be more environmentally friendly. But if you're comparing it to uh, to whatever comes next in terms of of uh, materials that are are more benign in their manufacture, can uh, can have multiple lives um, and can be made from waste. Uh, those I think is, it's just interesting. So it's just interesting to see how the thinking evolves as that as the technology evolves. Um, but yeah, um, this is uh, uh, I think a great project, and I and I love the fact that some of these innovations are, are showing up. I mean, one of the the partners in this is is in Uganda and and based in Uganda and Johannesburg, uh, and we need to be finding those innovations from the African continent, from from Southeast Asia, from other places that have not necessarily been uh, sources of innovation, but can teach us a lot about uh, or or have the uh, the raw materials to to create uh, uh, some of these new, more sustainable materials. So we'll look forward to tracking that. 
Um, do you want to take us into the third piece? Sure. I loved it. Um, Catherine Winkler, uh, our good friend, the former CSO of, oh my God, EMC, right? And some other companies. Uh, remind yeah. me. Big big tech Yep, big company. tech companies. Yep. Um, Longtime uh, friend of ours who uh, still does some writing. So she's a... Yeah, she's, uh, she's an yes. editor at large at Green <laughs> Catherine Biz, Winkler. Yeah. Thank you, Catherine. Um, and her piece this week is why CSOs have, quote, influence with with authority, end quote. And I think, I, lo- I just love this because she basically takes a uh, phrase that that um, I think has become kind of a meme in the, the sustainability community, which is influence without authority. And she turned it around and on her head and says, hey, you know what, really, this we do have authority and here's where it is and i just she kind of it's just it's just one of those wow that's a yes of course you know as i was reading it i thought wow you know so she 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 basically gives us a list of the types of authority that matter in a in a sustainability role and and she's sort of riffs off a, a couple of philosophical uh, essays and so forth sociologist sociologist Max Weber has something that he uses called the three types authority. And so she spins it out from there. Um, And I just, you know, so I just love this because I think it'll get maybe uh, the readers just thinking differently about their own role and how they can frame their own influence, how they, how they talk to other individuals as they're doing their job. And, you know, and also how, you know, we, I feel it, you feel it. I, you know, get around the imposter syndrome, like, you have more authority than you realize. So I, I, I think um, I want to pick one of the authorities that um, that I really pre- uh, appreciated. One was her inferred authority. So she, she meant, Catherine mentions that she used to work for the general counsel at um, one of her previous roles, the, you know, the chief legal officer, et cetera. People knew that. Um, and when she was introduced, sometimes they were they were saying, "Hey, Catherine, she works for the general counsel, or she's in legal." And she kind of technically wasn't, but she she did work for that person, and so she kind of let it ride. She was like, she says, "I didn't milk it, but it didn't hurt." Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So I just I, yeah. I laughed out loud when I read that, you know, because I could. Rem- yeah, and even even the difference between governing authority, which is what you know, corporate governance says, you are the chief sustainability officer, and here is your remit. Versus granted granted authority, which is it's not necessarily what's in your job title, but the but the team looks to you uh, as a primary decision maker or di- or direction setter or approver of outcomes, um, and yeah, then there's borrowed authority when somebody with broader authority publicly delegates the responsibility, uh, you know, such as when the the CEO told uh, his staff uh, to get. That, that this is uh, Catherine writing this to get my team the data we needed, uh, and moral authority, of course, is is another piece. As I, yeah, this is a great breakdown. Is as, as you know, as chief sustainability officers continue to find their way within their individual companies and organizations and figure out what you know, how can what what authority do they have? Whether it's you know governing or or moral or assumed or inferred or something else uh i i think it's a real it's really uh, just uh, so helpful to break it down like this and uh understand that uh that we all may have more authority than we think we do 
This week saw the launch of a consultancy and think tank with a stellar pedigree and a bold vision. Regen Intel, short for Regenerative Intelligence, an activation company as they describe it, brings together the creators of Project Drawdown, this time with the mission of regeneration. Here to tell us more about that is the group's founder and CEO, Chad Frischman. Hey, Chad. Hey, Joel. Good to be so here. So give me the elevator pitch. What is Regen Intel? Well, you know, Regen Intel is a public benefit activator. And what I mean by that is a mission, we are a mission-derived, purpose-driven organization with a goal to activate humanity to become a planet-positive species in order to create the regenerative future. So activate humanity sounds like a bit of a tall order. What, what are you actually going to be doing? Yeah, that's right. I mean, and to become a planet-positive species itself is a tall order. It's a very ambitious goal. I mean, we before with Project Drawdown, we set out with the kind of audacious goal to solve climate change. And I actually think becoming a planet-positive species is a harder thing to do. But these are actually intertwined. And that's really, uh, I think, what Regen Intel offers the world is how can we find and identify and help organizations and individuals become activated to actually implement solutions that not only solve for climate change, but also help us solve our sustainable development goals and perhaps more fundamentally, push our system forward to becoming a regenerative society and economy that we know that we need to be a planet-positive species. So what do you say to those who say that regeneration is just kind of a new wine in an old bottle, that this is really what sustainability should be about, and maybe it hasn't, but how do you differentiate what everything that's happened so far with where you want uh, us to go? I think that's a, a totally valid question. Of course, the concept of regenerative systems has been around for decades, right? Bucky, Buck, Mr. Phil have been talking about that many, many years ago. This is not a new concept, nor do we saying that we're creating something new into the world. We're actually are leveraging a tremendous amount of work that's been done for decades by thinkers and doers, organizations and individuals that have been part of this movement for a long time. And of course, these regenerative systems and regenerative mindsets and thinking has certainly embedded itself in sustainability, the sustainability framework as well for many decades. But what I would say is that sustainability as a framework we're currently operating in is simply not sustainable. Hmm. I know what I mean by that is I see sustainability as it's currently formulated is pretty much simply how do we sustain a system that we're currently operating in within our planetary boundaries. But if we want to have justice, inclusion, and equity as a cornerstone of our human economic and social systems, if we want to provide true well-being for every person on this planet in an equitable way, while at the same time benefiting and contributing to planetary well-being, we simply don't have the resources in the sustainability framework to stay within those planetary boundaries. So, so where does Regen Intel fit in? How do you help those resources come into being? Or what are you actually going to do? And I, and I hate this question, but I have to ask it. How do you make money? What's the business model? Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, we see regeneration as a re as being sustainable. Sus regeneration, regenerative system is sustainable, but only when we start to think about regeneration as going beyond just regenerative agriculture or ecosystem restoration projects. If we see all sectors of human activity can be part of that uh, regenerative system, 
how do we make renewable energy systems regenerative? How do we make transportation, built environment, industry, et cetera, part of a holistic, comprehensive, regenerative model? Then sustainability, or that becomes sustainable over the long run. So what we do is we work with different organizations and individuals across two different programs. We're launching something we call Region Intel Transformation. This is our advisory service that we offer. We work with nonprofit organizations, governments from local to national scale, businesses and corporations, investors, philanthropists, essentially organizations and decision makers that have real influence in the world that can be the leaders of that regenerative future tomorrow, today. And what we do is we work with them in a variety of different ways. We help evaluate their current activities and see how they're doing in terms of their climate targets, sustainability goals, and what's that alignment towards that regenerative model that we're talking about. And then we work with them on what we call pathways, right? So how do we create these roadmaps? What is the system of solutions that an organization, a business, an investor, investment portfolio can take to become that regenerative leader? And it's really important because we're myopically so focused in this space on how to solve for climate or how to solve for sustainability. But we're not seeing the bigger picture is that the same set of solutions when done right can solve for climate, achieve our sustainable development goals and push beyond. And so we work with them to create those pathways and, ro and, and roadmaps to achieve that within the context they are currently operating in. And that's our, that's our transformation work that we do. But we also are launching an education program next year where we hope to train and educate the next generation of leaders and practitioners along that same model, because we want to scale. We can't do it from just our team alone. We want to make sure there's so much work to do. There's so many organizations that need that transformation. How do we scale this out, train a whole new generation of folks to be stewards and guides of that regenerative economy? So Chad, I love that you are uh, leading the change here and, and creating the change you want to see in the world. But I'm also concerned about how do you bring the market along? People tend to want to uh, understand a new concept or, or something that is emerging concept, usually in reference to something that they've already know. And what they already know is sustainability. So how do you explain to me, a lifelong sustainability guy, you know, regeneration, and you talked about sustainability isn't sustainable. So I'm just trying to connect those dots between how this becomes, uh, sustainability becomes a bridge, I guess, to regeneration. Yeah, Joel. Great question. And, you know, I've been a sustainability professional for 15 years, and that's what actually led me to launching Project Drawdown with uh, Paul Hawken and Amanda Joy Ravenhill back in 2014. Um, but I came from that sustainability background. And so I, I recognize that very much. And so for me, um, what's really important is to understand that we're not saying abandon this whole way of thinking and adopt this whole new way of thinking piecemeal. We're saying, how do we meet people where they're at, but not leave them there? So what are the you know, climate solutions? People have been working on climate for a long time too. People work on sustainability. What are those solutions that can help people meet those targets they've already set themselves, the targets that they're familiar with, that they've already spent a long time internally working on to say, okay, we have to, we have to address climate change. Here's how we do it. Same thing with sustainability. They've been working for a long time to understand how do we achieve our sustainable development goals or how do we stay, become a sustainable company or a sustainable business? Um, and, and we don't want to abandon that entirely. But when we start to really imagine the future that we actually want, I mean, take, take a minute, I want every listener to do this. Like, imagine what you really want for your future, not just your future, but your children's and grandchildren's future, and maybe even future generations, because 
you know, the decisions we make today are the most important in the history of our species because they affect every future generation to come. So when you take a moment to imagine what that future looks like, um, do is, is, is sustainability the future that you really want? Keeping the existing system that we're operating in within our planetary boundaries? Or is it, how do we elevate humanity and the planet to the to, the, to to have improved well-being for every person on this planet, have true equity, just inclusion as part of the core of our human economic and social system. That's what we want. That's clearly what we would hope to achieve. And it's, I think, embedded in, for example, the sustainable development goals. But they actually, if you look at what they are, this is the edge of the current system, a system built on exploitation and extraction. And we know this. And it's built upon that. And it basically, a sustainable development goal says, how do we provide the bare minimum? How do we eliminate poverty, end hunger, provide clean water and sanitation, gender equality? These are all very important, valuable things. Protecting our ecosystems, marine and terrestrial ecosystems, incredibly important, noble and ambitious goals. But what about the flip side of that? How do we maximize well-being and livelihoods? And our nature, our natural systems. That's 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 the nature of regenerative systems. How do we go beyond sustainability? Um, uh, so it's not abandoning; it's carrying forward. Yeah. Well, real briefly, uh, when we talk uh, uh, in a couple of years, let's say Earth Week 2025, and you look back at where you, how far you've come uh, towards these incredibly lofty, ambitious, and admirable goals, what's the story you want to be able to tell about Regen Intel in two years? I mean, two years. I mean, that's that's uh, you know, we, we hope for Region Intel within two years to make a substantial change in the world. We are already creating a beautiful ecosystem of experts. Over sixty-five thinkers and doers have signed on and committed to be our at-will uh, on-call global activators for all the work that we do. So, in two years' time, we hope to truly activate this network of stars, founders of companies, investors, uh, uh, journalists and filmmakers, researchers and, researchers and scientists, people working in business and, and, and philanthropy have come on board to say, we are part of a common mission, a common goal, and we are going to activate humanity to become a planet positive species. So in two years, we hope to transform the most powerful organizations and governments to become the most impactful organizations and governments leveraging that ecosystem of experts, those cosmos of stars that we're bringing together to bear on this. Great. Well, we'll look forward to that. Chad Frischman is founder and CEO of Regen Intel, launched this week. Thanks, Chad. Thanks, Joel. Good to be here. And that's our 350 podcast for this week. As always, you can go to greenviz.com slash 350 to find out more about the organization, stories and events we mentioned. And while you're over there, check out our free weekly newsletters. We've got a bunch of them and they're a great way to stay up to date all week long. Just go to greenviz.com slash newsletters to sign up. We'd love to hear from you, your comments, your questions and tips. Our address is still 350 at greenviz.com. Heather and I will be back next week with another edition of Green Biz 350. Until then, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. We'll see you next time. This episode is sponsored by Schneider Electric, a recognized global leader in sustainability. With the SEC's climate disclosure rule, now is the time for businesses to get their data and strategy in order. 
To get started, visit se.com slash climate risk. Thank <laughs> you.